0: This is the Edumatch Podcast Network, bringing you amazing educators sharing their love of learning one show at a time. The Edumatch Podcast Network is proud to support this show and many others. Find out more at edumatchpn.com. The ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely of the individual podcaster. Welcome to the Undercaffeinated Podcast, a weekly podcast for educators who don't have time to listen to a podcast, kind of like us. Each week, we'll cover a different topic in education
1: in just about five to ten minutes. Our goal is to share bite sized chunks of professional development so you can join us, whether you're driving your kids
0: around, preparing dinner, making copies during prep, or really doing just about anything. This is PD for real teachers who are real tired. Coming to you from Nevada, Colorado, and Florida. Welcome to another episode of Undercaffeinated. Tonight we have our guest, author of Level Up Leadership, Brian. Brian, actually, how do I say your last name? Is it Kulak? Uh, that's,
1: a common, that's a common question. It's just Kulak. So when I was a kid, Kulak. people would say, you lack coolness. Do you see how that works, Aaron? It's so clever and so funny.
0: <laughs> I was just
1: cool <laughs> lack, yeah. I was thinking
0: <laughs> that it was just like cool like no lacking, just cool. oh
1: thank you that's my nickname with my friends and my baseball team members are is cool but um it's it's definitely a noun not an adjective but that's how you say my last name yeah
0: cool okay so i was saying it in my head very wrong but thank you very much for clearing that up um so you and i we really don't know each other very well can you give uh can you give us a little bit of information because i just i promise i didn't stalk you very much beforehand
1: yeah, I think we're in some of the same professional uh, circles in terms of Twitter and Voxer and EduMatch. Yes. Um, so I, I was really happy when you put out the request for uh, some speakers, uh, some guests. So uh, I am in year 21 in education. I, uh, the first 15 years I spent as a high school English and journalism teacher. Uh, I taught pretty much seniors for most of my career, uh, actually at my alma mater, a very small public high school in New Jersey. Wow. Uh, and then I took uh, a chief academic officer position at um, a neighboring school for the last for four years. Okay. And then for the last two years, I've been a K-5 principal in the same district. So what happened was the principal, uh, the school that I work at now, and I switched roles. So she became the CAO, I became the principal. So we both had each other to bounce off ideas because neither of us had done the other's job. That. So it couldn't have been more fortuitous. It couldn't have worked out better. She was a, is an amazing mentor to me, and um, it made my transition super easy. So that's where I am um, in my career. And then, as you mentioned, I did publish my first book last January with EduMatch called Level Up Leadership, uh, Advance Your Edu Game, available now on Amazon. I hate plugging things, but I know I'm supposed to. So there's no <laughs> plugs. Um, it okay. uh, it's a, It's a extended analogy between... Uh, the evolution of the video game industry and education, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about tonight.
0: Yes. No. You'll have you'll have uh, f- lots of opportunities for forced plugging because I've, I've got some questions for you. Okay. Um, great. <laughs> and but before we get into that, like I'm I'm really actually very interested in uh, what it's what was it like first off to to teach for your alma mater? Like how many. Because you couldn't have been that much older than some of your students.
1: I was a fresh 22 when I started. <laughs> and uh, I had a 17-year-old brother who uh, was a senior at the time. So uh, we were both living at home. And we were, uh, he, you know, pretty much had access to all my tests and everything. So he could have sold them on the black market if he wanted to. So it was. It was interesting. Um, <laughs> so many of my mentors and role models, I was now teaching... Um, I couldn't call them by their first name. There was still a lot of deference and professional respect um, when I got there, and uh, it was a it was a absolutely amazing experience to teach. I coached there as well. I'm still very close with the community. My parents still live there, uh, so um, it's not all that uncommon. I'm not sure across the country, but at least here in New Jersey, where mm-hmm. people go back to teach at their alma maters, so. Um, Going back was a dream, um, leaving was challenging, uh, but go there ahead. just wasn't a leadership opportunity for me there. So, you know, the whole go to grow thing became real for me and I, I'm so oh. incredibly happy and thankful for my time there but also for where I am now. So everything kind of worked out pretty nicely for me <laughs> and uh, I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't leave my consciousness very often. I know how fortunate I am for sure.
0: I think that's... R- I- I will say, so my very first year teaching was at the same school that I went to for eighth grade. And um, so I know from experience just how special it was to be able to turn around and teach with some of the teachers that I had had. Um, So I, and then the fact that you did it, um, you know, it was so much closer. So I, I graduated eighth grade, high school, college. It was, right, I was a right. little further removed. So that had to right. have been, especially having your brother there, like very close to your heart, very much family, um, to yeah. turn around.
1: It was. And, and also I think it bought me a lot of street cred with the kids because you know, <laughs> I was just a, a person who was exactly like them five years prior. And I, I hoped that I could uh, be a role model for them and kind of show them how to get, from step A to step B, but also to kind of impart to them that my path is not going to be their path. Right. But whatever their path is, it was my job to help them follow it. So, um, my my time with seniors is something that is so close to my heart. I still have so many friends. You don't know, have to think about it now. I'm 43, so you're talking about 21 years ago. Yeah. So a lot of those kids are 38, 39. We go to concerts together. We play poker together. I mean, I have, you know, uh, seven of them were at my wedding. Uh, 15 years ago so it was just a really I'm just again very fortunate to have the experience I had especially with seniors who were at a time in their life when they needed or wanted uh, just somebody who wasn't their parents helping them find their way right it was was an amazing time for me to be in the classroom
0: that is fantastic so then uh, really I looked at your blog Mm -hmm. and one of the things you said was you know uh, challenging yourself in like your leadership role and so I'm going to ask you more about that later. But in my head, I was thinking like that is not just leadership role as in a a leadership title, but as in how you are a leader in your position. Right. Right. Did any of your experiences while you were in there, like looking back, we can reflect and everything like that. But while you were in the thick of that with those those kids, while you were still a kid. Was any of that starting to already form and mold? Like, were you aware of that at that time? Or is it only in looking back?
1: That's a great question. And I'm going to analogize it this way. I knew as a child mm-hmm. what kind of father I wanted to be. So I had already started thinking about, I, I remember being a teenager and thinking like, all right, I'm definitely going to de- take this from my dad. I'm definitely not going to take this from my dad. <laughs> j- it just was the way I saw the world in this sort of like, Panoramic, almost um, time travel way. Right. And so your question is such a great question because, yes, the whole time I was teaching, I knew this is my thing. Like my style is unique, um, very anecdotal, very personal, um, very much focused on connections with the kids more than connections with the content. I thought mm-hmm. that was more, I still think it's more important in a lot of ways. So I think that my leadership, and I told my staff on the first day, um, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes you need I'm sorry I need you more than you need me because my staff is amazing uh and I'm not going to change who I was as a teacher because I still consider myself one so yeah I I think I was formulating and I had no plans on this kind of leadership particularly elementary you know I was a high school lifer I I I don't know anything from elementary but then I had children of my own right then I was in a district position where I was in elementary schools all the time so I really started to kind of get a A desire to be around this like bundle of happiness and excitement and (laughs) hugs you know all these wonderful things and then I just get to go home and do it with my kids so my whole day is filled with children which you know was awesome so yeah I think I knew it for a long time how I would be and Mm -hmm. it was gonna be very much genuine and uh, I would make sure that people knew who I was and my all my warts and all the things I thought I could help them with and and that'll never change for me
0: that's fantastic I I really love I really love what a genuine uh, perspective you bring to this. Um, almost very forward thinking, like it's not just you're not just in the now, you're forward thinking um, and so you knowing that. So then I guess one of my questions as you were talking about your experiences is like how did you make that jump from high school to elementary school and so it. And I know you had the, um, what was it, chief academic officer? Yep. It, as, as a kind of an in-between, like did you, what, what made you say, Chica, chief academic officer, I'm done with that, like I really wanna be an elementary principal and not high school or middle school, and you know, maybe it was just not the opportunity.
1: Well, it was, so uh, there's t- two parts to it. Number one, Uh, as i mentioned i switched roles with a mentor named jen who's Mm -hmm. the principal before me and she was finished she needed to change she wanted to move on she was there for nine years and did amazing things really changed the the building and the district um from a literacy perspective because she's brilliant but i'll never forget i was at a a award ceremony my last role sitting next to my superintendent Mm -hmm. it was a very solemn affair and this is the way he operates Um, he kind of tapped me on the knee and he said have you talked to Jen today? And I said, no, but I talked to Jen a lot. And I said, why? And he goes, he made this weird, like, uh, pinky finger and thumb motion and said, I'm thinking the <laughs> switching you guys. Oh. And that's how we introduced this, this switch. And immediately I was trying to, like, surreptitiously take my phone in my pocket to text my wife, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is amazing, this is amazing. But I couldn't. And he <laughs> said, all I want you to do is, is take the weekend, talk to your wife, talk to Jen, and then let me know what you guys come up with. So he gave us the weekend. Neither of us blinked, we both were ready. And to your point, you know, four years in the chief academic officer role was wonderful, but my predecessor actually said to me, the problem with this role is you're in charge of everyone and you're in charge of no one. And he was absolutely right. So I could uh, plan PD and ed camps and um, run department meetings, run uh, literacy sessions, but ultimately I wasn't running a building. I wasn't a supervisor i was just like this weird central office sort of assistant superintendent or def- definitely not a s- assistant superintendent so after four years i felt like i'd done a lot of things but like i, I it was time for a change and luckily jen was ready too God. so my superintendent who's one of the best leaders i've ever worked for and ever will had the foresight to be like all right i want to keep you both in district mm-hmm. The only way I can really do that is is to flip you and see if you can do the other's job pretty well and with each other's help. And I think we're both kind of really happy where we are. So again, I go back to this like weird, fortuitous, cosmic, karmic uh, (laughs) path that's kind of been laid for me. All I had to do was kind of walk on it. But it's been, uh, so I didn't have elementary in my brain, but when the opportunity arose, there was, I didn't even blink. It It was an instantaneous, yes, I'll do it as long as Jen's comfortable with it
0: that's fantastic yeah and so at that point did you have elementary children
1: i did so at that point like two years ago so my daughter would have been eight and my son was four Mm -hmm. so now they're 10 and six okay so i can it's great because my daughter is in fifth grade and in our district that's the end of elementary school Mm -hmm. the same as as the district i work in so i bounce stuff off her all the time like what would you do if this happened, especially with a lot of social emotional stuff, mm-hmm. or are you guys doing this yet? Or where are you in math? And she just is like a little assistant teacher. You know, she really helps me. Um, and it's good to have one of each gender because the girl issues and the boy issues as a principal vary. Yes. And so I, when things happen between genders, I can think, OK, what would Abby and Coleman do in this situation? So it's been really helpful. And I think, again, parents really value a leader who has children because I can always say, listen, I get it. I'm a dad. And maybe I use that to my advantage when the time comes, but, use it, um, but absolutely. And it's true. I mean, I think about things through the lens of my own children. And when I make decisions or discipline um, any children, I'm thinking, okay, is this going to be the best for the kid? And if it were my school or my kids, how would I react? Right. So it's a very meta experience as a elementary school, father and principal simultaneously.
0: I think it's very wise, very wise of you not only to, to utilize the fact that you are a father, right, but also to mm-hmm. utilize your children and their experiences in your school to help you, help guide you, you know. How often do we um, as adults go to children and say, well, what would you do? What do you think? Yep. When they're the ones with the, all the creative ideas.
1: Yep. And I think about the empowerment too. Like my daughter's going to think back on this like, hey, my dad when I was 10 was asking me what I would do in this social situation between two girls who just say, can't seem to get along. So yeah. I, I know she loves it and I, I love her for it. And she's super mature for her age, but, um, and my wife has nothing to do with education. So it's a, it's a cool dynamic in my house where like my wife is super helpful because she's a leader too in her field to bounce leadership stuff off each other. But then when it's time to lock it down for education, she's like, all right, I'm out of here. You guys can you guys <laughs> talk about it. And, and Abby's really good at helping me think about things from a from a different perspective. So yeah, I think it's been very helpful to have children the same age.
0: Oh, that's that is really really wonderful. Um, so okay, then going back to your blog, mm-hmm. and I, I want to talk a little bit about your book, Level Up Leadership. Is there a connection? Because like I said, with, with your blog, it's kind of on the Edge Match website. It's described as you know see, seeing yourself, um, and your leadership is differently. So Mm -hmm. is there a connection between your blog and your book or is it more? Yeah, I'm going to stop there.
1: (laughs) So I think a life goal has always been to publish. I think that's a a goal for a lot of of us and especially Mm -hmm. a former English teacher. That's kind of always in the back of our minds, but, um, the impetus for all of this was I have a, a colleague named Dan uh, Whalen, who every year he does a challenge. Now, he will not call it a New Year's resolution, okay. which I respect because it's really not. So one year he said, I'm not going to have uh, sugar for a year. I'm like, that's pretty cool. But I didn't have the fortitude to do anything about it. Then the next year he's like, I'm not going to have beer this year. I'm like, I'm definitely not going to do that one. <laughs> and then, then last, the, 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 the most recent year he said, I'm going to run a mile Every single day for 365 days, I'm going to catalog. And I'm like, there's no way you're going to do that. But he did it. So watching him, Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, listen, how much more time can I waste talking myself out of writing? So on January 1st of that year, which would have been 2017, I said, I'm going to wake up every day at 5 Mm o'clock. I'm going to write for an hour, even if it's just a sentence. I'm going to go to the gym at 6. I'm going to start my day at 7. I will not waver. I will not stop. And I didn't. And so the blog built between January and about May when I launched of that year. And then I um, started writing what would it be chapters of this book that would analogize gaming to leadership. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I, I don't remember how this happened, but I, I got hooked up with Mandy Fralick, which, who, who I know you know from and yeah. Match. And I said to her, you know, I'm, I'm following you. I'm really impressed with your work. I read Fire Within. And I wanted to know her publication process. And I just figured she was a DBC person or a Mark Burns person. And she said, no, I, I'm with Edge And she explained it to me. So from that point, I just I started writing and writing and writing. And the blogs kept coming and coming and coming. I set a goal for myself to, to blog once a week. And as I was doing that, I would blog for a day. And the next day, I would work on the book. And then eventually, I pitched it to Sarah uh, Thomas at Edge of Match. And she, and she picked it up. But um, I would say the, bl- the blog is still my passion because it's still something I do every week. And I really carve out time to think about my practice and my growth and my field and my staff and my kids in in various ways all of which are you know analogous I think that's the best kind of writing is like hey here's this thing that you all know about and here's how it applies to education which is how the book is written as well gotcha so the, whether there's another book or not and I hope there is it doesn't really matter to me because the blog is the blog is my baby and I, I have a nice loyal readership. And um, I've connected with a lot of people around the world. I've spoken as a result of it most recently last weekend, actually, uh, in Philadelphia. So that's, that's what I'm most proud of. But the book was, uh, was certainly a crowning moment for me. And again, my kids were there at the signing and uh, we had a nice big party here in New Jersey. And it was just a really cool experience. So uh, I'll never stop writing and no matter who's reading, but the the blog was certainly blog came first and the book came because of it.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so <clears throat> excuse me. Tell me a little bit. So when I first looked at the book cover, when when was your like launch day?
1: January twenty first of, of two thousand nineteen. Okay. Wait, is that right? Yeah, two thousand nineteen. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because we're twenty twenty now. Yeah, year. yeah <laughs> year last year. Yep. Well, happy uh, happy anniversary then.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Book anniversary for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, when I first saw the cover, I think the cover is just so cool um <laughs> I was never a lot. i was never like the arcade kid, right but I have a i have uh, teams so so um seeing that i just i think it's so cool, right Child of the eighties right here um, and so yep.
1: Same. Yeah.
0: i I was thinking it was almost like gamifying leadership, and now, as I like learn about you and you know, investigate more and everything like that. I really love the idea that it's not necessarily, it's not gamifying. So can not you game-fying. can you just give us um, a little bit of information for those who may have never heard of the book or just not read it uh, mm-hmm. about why what it is and why we should be reading it in all reality?
1: That's a great question. Thanks uh, for that. I actually, I wanted to tap into nostalgia because I think nostalgia is both a really powerful, tool for any people of any age but when you really dig into the generation in which uh, you were born or with which you associate there's a a, a collection of nostalgia mm-hmm. that's either tangible or otherwise that your mind goes to so for me growing up uh, in the 80s gaming was huge and, and I remember spending so much time um, just trying to figure out puzzles and games or trying to beat Super Mario Brothers and just that <laughs> Being the community of friends and and sharing uh, strategies to get to the end of the game was so powerful, and then I started thinking about how, as gaming evolved, education did too. And here's the best example I can give you, and it's in the book. So when we grew up, Atari was was right, so it was the king and. You had Pong, and then you had uh, like a basketball game, and you had Asteroids and Pac-Man, and ultimately the controller was a box with a stick and a red button, and that's it, right? <laughs> right. So the, this, the, joy, the joystick, as it became known, could only go in four directions, and the button could only do one thing. It would shoot a pixelated ball or a pixelated gun or whatever. That's it. But to us, it was nirvana. We, we couldn't believe we had this power in our hands. But that's the way education leadership was back in the day. There was a person in a room, probably behind a desk, mm-hmm. making unilateral decisions with a unilateral device and telling people this is what you're going to do because I'm telling you to do it. And when he pushes that button, and largely it was a he back then, yes. you push that red button, this is what you're going to do. And people did it, right? But then time moved on and gaming evolved. We had Nintendo and then Super Nintendo. And then even between that we had Coleco and Intellivision and all the way up to PS4 and what we have now. And the controllers changed. So it gave you more power and gave you more choices and gave you more autonomy and agency over what you're going to do as a gamer. Mm-hmm. So you can make decisions. You could hit pause when you needed to. You could shoot a gun, but also jump in a tree at the same time. <laughs> and that's what happened with, edu- with education. So like then leaders like, wait a minute, I have all these cool things I can do. And think about it the way it is now with with the way PD is is driven. Um, Rich Chiz did my, my forward of, of fourth lock faculty and, and he kind of revolutionized quite literally based on the title of his book how we think about PD and he's right and that's the multi button controller generation that we're in now as leaders. We, there are ways for us to do things that are not black and white that are not left right up and down and that's it and I, I became kind of obsessed with this idea of all these different things in gaming have evolved almost at a parallel clip with education. And I think that the controller is, is a great example. So too is the walkthrough. So when we grew up, there was no walkthrough to video games. You had to figure it out. You put quarters in for hours and hours, or you hit reset <laughs> for hours and hours in your basement. And, and then somebody jumped online when online was a thing and said, I'm going to write down every single thing you have to do to win. If you want to use it, great. If not, don't worry about it, but it's here if you need it. And so then people started to get better. And then people started to share strategies and ideas and that's exactly what's happening in education now we are at least for people like you and i are we are twitter based and boxer based and right. what i do is based on what other people have shared or taught me in this huge global sphere whereas again before you taught in your building or your district and that was it i mean there just wasn't a lot of sharing so the book tries to just motivate or um uh initiate some change if you're feeling like you're in a a, a teaching or a leadership rut or you just want to try something new but not how to do it i give you all kinds of strategies at the end of each chapter there are five ready to use um, strategies or ideas that are based on the all the icons from mario so it's like the mushroom the flower um, the star so people have nostalgia throughout and then i had a friend of mine who suggested i include a gamer's journal which is just an anecdotal, like, hey, this is what I did, this is what has happened in my life by way of gaming and leadership. So actually, I actually had a reader reach out to me and say, listen, I tried the gaming journal and it has changed my practice because now I really think meaningfully about my day and my month and, and what I'm doing as opposed to just being bogged down in my office. So there's just a lot of good stuff, I think, for, for leaders, especially leaders in, in programs that are geared towards um, uh, teaching leaders right. to um, start start their practice kind of with a lot of things in their tool bag.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And actually, it's like a perfect, I don't, you might feel like you already a- answered it, but I was going to ask you, you know, based on your book and your experiences, how has the education, like how has the field of education, how has the field of educational leadership really changed in the last 20 years? And I feel like a lot of that you just you just touched in. Um, so any of us who are in our, you know, 30s and 40s, like yep. this, this, this book is really hitting us, you know, right in that nostalgia, right in the, we saw how education was and yep. how it's changed, just like we saw how technology has changed, Yep. like the cell phone and everything like that.
1: Yeah, I think... I th- what i'm so happy about even though you know we get crushed in the media and by by uh, politicians all the time about education but like silos have been destroyed you know they're they're, I, i don't see them as being sort of an implicit part of what we do anymore because it just doesn't make any sense you can't do any good you can't make any change if you're working inside a silo so i you know i think being forthright with who you are and, and what you want to do and, and the things that you haven't done really well helps to um, challenge us to get better, as opposed to when we, as you mentioned, in our 30s and 40s when we were younger, there was no getting better, man. You just checked the boxes, right. you, you, you pushed the tests, you, you, you had your red pen, and that was pretty much it. And we all survived. But I, I feel really good about the new generation of students who have this group of leaders who are our age with our level of motivation and connectedness across the globe and and certainly with Twitter and Voxer just have so much more available to them. So I will not buy into this narrative that education is dying or education is getting worse because it is clearly getting better as long as you're kind of talking to the right people in the right places. I agree. Um, So I, I do think that education is getting better and I think the book tries to harmonize what things used to be with a nostalgic uh, twist with the way things could be if you just are as accepting of the change that we're seeing in education as you would with anything technology or music or gaming or fashion or whatever right so i'm hopeful and i hope the book it comes across as hopeful um and i you know i spoke to a group of kids at uh chestnut hill academy chestnut hill university here in in philadelphia Mm -hmm. and they are kind of they're all young and wide-eyed and very excited and have a lot of ideas and wanted to talk about a lot of things in the book and that when I left, I was like, "Okay, this is who we can expect to kind of follow us." Right. Um, with the lead that we are egoless and we are about the kids and about each other, and um, the, the book is, is is just trying to remind people that there are a lot of ways to do it, and gaming showed us a lot of those ways without even knowing it.
0: Oh, I th- that's fantastic! Okay, so if you haven't if you haven't seen the book, heard of the book, or read the book, go get the book, read the book. It's, I mean. Gosh, I just, I, like, I'm so excited about it. And I don't even have it in my hands right now. Like, I'm just so excited <laughs> about it. That's I love kind. it. All right. Yeah. So, so Brian. Yep. Cool. I got one final yeah, question you for you.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I did stalk you a little bit. I did my research okay. a little bit. Okay. Pearl Jam does uh, not exist. It is gone. So what is, so what is your next go-to band?
1: Well, let me start by saying that uh, I was shut out of the Pearl Jam sweepstakes for this tour for the first time. I won't be seeing them live on a North American tour. So I'm still working some phones, but it doesn't look good. Um, And uh, on Eddie Vedder's last birthday, when he trended on Twitter, I opened it, and the first thing I thought was he was dead, which is the new thing on Twitter, and he was not, thank God. Um, (laughs) They are so meaningful to me. So thank you for doing your research on my my Pearl Jam uh, love. (laughs) <laughs> so if they are not around, so here's, I have uh, a, a very eclectic musical taste, but I am a huge Dave Matthews fan. Uh, okay. I love Radiohead. Okay. Um, I'm a huge uh, Afghan Whigs fan, who was a band from the 90s, um, and their lead singer, Greg Dooley. But if you just kind of type in the Seattle sound, minus Nirvana, that's pretty much what I'm listening to. So okay. Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, uh, and of course Pearl Jam.
0: Gotcha. All right. Very good. Very. That's a great
1: question. You got me good. Then. That was a good question.
0: <laughs> I try. I spend. I spend a lot of time on these these final questions because that was a good question. I feel like they 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 help they help me and the audience like really get to know you. Yeah. Outside of education, right?
1: I'm a pearl Jam geek for sure. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you, Brian, so much for joining us and everybody else. Thank you for joining us as well. Um, we are under caffeinated on Twitter and Instagram, and we would love to hear from you. Um, if you like what you heard today, please consider leaving a review on Apple podcast to help other educators like you find us. And again, Brian, you are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: That uh, was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Aaron. And thank you for, uh, now we got a final chance to, to meet each other outside of just uh, Twitter. So
0: I know, right? It was my pleasure. Oh, thank yeah. you. Good night, everybody. <laughs>